Hey guys, Jonathan Dorr with you once again. Welcome to the Canberra Business Podcast. Thanks as always for the pleasure of your time. I really like today's guest and not just because they're interesting, they're a passionate business owner, they're creating something amazing, but also because when they arrived at the studio, they brought a sample of their amazing product, which is beer. So we're going to talk today to Richard Watkins, the fantastic co-founder of Ben Spoke Brewing. It's a real Canberra success story. It's an Australian success story. And as I said, anybody that turns up to the studio bringing gifts like that is always welcome. So you're going to hear so much in this. We're going to talk about product. We're going to talk about attention to detail. We're going to talk about the reasons that this product has been so successful. We're going to talk about brand. But more than that, it's a real story of excellence, honing your craft, becoming a master at something, and then bringing that to a bigger audience by partnering with a great team. So if any of those things are going to be relevant for your business, make sure you listen right through because there is so much here that I think is going to be useful to you. Now, housekeeping from me, as always, would you please subscribe to the podcast, just wherever you are, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, Spotify. Uh, Check out the links in the show notes at the end, especially come and check us out at Canberra Executive Coaching, see how we can help you with your business or personal executive goals. So that's it from me. Let's rip in. This is the story of Richard Watkins. This is the story of Ben Spoke Brewing. It's a great story. Hope you're going to love it. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Let's get this done. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Canberra Business Podcast. We have a very special guest today. We have somebody that provides a great service to uh, national capital and much further these days. Uh, He does magical things. He creates something that makes us all much better humans. He creates phenomenal beer. So my very special guest today in the studio is Mr. Richard Watkins from Ben Spoke Brewing. My friend, welcome aboard. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me along. Mate, looking forward to it. I I was thinking of speaking with you and I thought, I mean, we're going to talk about your journey in, in brewing and beer and my journey with alcohol began less successfully at the age of 12, almost drowned in the Brisbane River, got hospitalized for four days, and I was thinking the second time I ever tried alcohol, we just moved to Canberra. I was 14, I got arrested. So my start with uh, with beer didn't go too well, mate, but uh, this has been a huge part of your life. It's, it's such a great success story. Where did this fascination that you have with this unique product, beer, where did it start for you? Yeah, I guess it started back when, when I went off to uni. Uh, I went to school in Newcastle, went off to university in Sydney, and uh, I guess, you know, being part of the university there, everyone likes to go and have a beer after after class and started drinking beer, and I never really found something I, I really liked. You know, I used to have a bit of Coopers, Coopers around, which was quite good, and and uh, I guess then a few, few of the people on campus wanted to try and, uh, or pe- people living on campus, that was, wanted to try and save a few dollars, so they... Started making a bit of beer and I um, was around when they were doing it and thought that was pretty good and thought I'd have a go myself and ended up doing a fair bit of home brewing. We've had more than a bit of a go. So, so far we've got, uh, you know, you did 17 years at the Wigan Pen, two Australian champion brewer titles. Look, I want to ask you, what's happened? You know, you and I are relatively close in age. Is what you're expressing here with uni life, for most of us, you know, beer for many years was, was a pretty limited thing. Nobody really drank for taste that much, but there's been a huge change. So I'm in the US a lot. I, I got onto their IPAs, but only recently have I noticed the scale of this. Now, obviously, Canberra is a, a unique place. You know, we've got a lot of disposable income. We've got people interested in it. But what happened? What, ha- what, what have you witnessed in this big sudden change in the last sort of five or ten years? What, what do you put it down to? Yeah, look, when I started uh, brewing commercially at the Wigan Pen in 96, there are only five small breweries in Australia, and now we've got nearly 500. And we've actually got now more breweries per capita than the US. Oh, yeah. And the, the biggest dense, or the, the place with the densest amount of breweries is actually the UK. They've oh, actually yeah. got more per capita than we do or the US. I think people have, the, the journey that people have been on with in the food side of things, where I include beer, um, has really led people to want to know more about what they're consuming and then, i.e., what they're drinking. And people are really interested in, in actually what's in it. What is in the cheese? What is in the bread? What is in the mushrooms? And what yeah. is in the beer that they're they're consuming? So, what do you think that is? I mean, is it just that you know, for so long everything was pretty much mass produced? You went to the supermarket, you got whatever was there. You went to the pub, you had two or three options. 
when you say that, like people have become, how do you explain it? What do you think it is? What is just a phenomenon on its own, or what? Oh, look, I think it's just it's a change. You got to remember, you know, it wasn't so long ago that there were hundreds and hundreds of breweries in Australia, and then we went through a, a stage in in where all the breweries got bought by basically two two breweries, and uh, we had two basically, you know, gigantic breweries doing all the brewing in Australia, and they were obviously trying to make the uh, most cost-effective brews. Coopers then came around, and and that sort of has kept the flavour, the beer flavour, uh, humming along. And then slowly but surely, I guess the rest of the world's been getting into you know craft beer, and and that's flowed through to Australia. Where do you see it heading? Like we're on a bit of an upswing, but where? where oh, look, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get massive amount of new breweries opening. I think, um, I think you'll find that whilst we can get more breweries opening, the market share needs to to lift for that. So, in other words. The, the craft market share in Australia is around 5% of the market, total beer sold. Um, in the US, it's about 14%. So the US, with less breweries per capita, sells more beer per brewery. Jeez, okay. You know, the, the major shift that we've had in the last five years, this incline uh, keeps going the way it is with um, people, you know, adopting craft or independent breweries. Um, I can see us moving to 10% of the market in the next sort of five to 10 years. So let me let me ask you some more questions. Firstly, what were you studying at uni when you first went? Uh, yeah, I did science and yeah. then, yeah, yeah, and then did mining engineering, which realised wasn't really for me. So no. I'm glad I got into brewing. So take us to the moment where a few mates are sort of, you know, mucking around with a bit of home brew. Now, I'm assuming most of those friends aren't running really successful brew pubs. What happened for you? What, what, how did it keep going? Oh, well, I mean, I started getting fascinated by making beer and um, used to, you know, brew a lot at a little two-bedroom flat that I had in Randwick and, and then I got a job actually while I was going to uni working at the Hahn Brewery in Sydney on the packaging line, just not really doing a lot, but just still around and working in a brewery was pretty good. Yeah. I guess uh just needed to get out of Sydney and came to Canberra to visit a friend and got a job working in the kitchen under my now partner Tracy at the Wig and Pen and, and sure enough, I mean, I wanted a job there because the brewery was there and yeah. uh assistant brewer position came up in sort of six months after that, and I, I took that, and a couple of years later, I was head brewer, so. So the first interview we did on this series was with Tim Kirk that uh, owns Clonic Killer, and that backstory is fascinating with his father and how it all unfolded. You know, I think one of the things you and Tim obviously have in common is around the quality of the product, so if you get a chance to listen to the interview, it's great because that's his fascination, Is you, and I think from a business point of view, it doesn't matter how slick your systems are or your marketing of your product's crap, eventually you're exposed, right? Yeah, um, people yeah. notice your pants are pulled down. So, what is before we talk about the quality of your product? What is the fascination for you with beer? I really want to understand that genuinely. Like, I mean, I I sampled some of yours last night. It was just brilliant. It, it's it's a great quality product. But how do you explain this to yourself? Why are you fascinated with beer? What do you enjoy about it? I love every aspect of it. I guess. I mean, I, I love the flavor spectrum that ingredients you use um, provide. So there, there's a massive amount of opportunity to create new beers um, with the ingredients that we have available to us. I love the industry that it is. Everyone in the industry is, they're all great people and it, you know, it's one of those industries where you actually want to go and hang out with people in the industry. So yeah. it's not, it's not like a lot of other industries. <laughs> you just want to, you know, at the end of the end of the week, you just want to run away from it. I don't know if you can answer this, but if you could, if you had to pick one thing that you love about your, you know, encounter with this whole thing, this this work, this experience you've had over many years, if you had to pick one thing you love about beer, what is it? Oh, it'd have to be um, seeing the look on people's faces when they try uh, a beer that you've created yeah. for the first time, and and that that sort of expression of joy. Yeah, that'd be it. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, there's there's the beer part of what you're doing and your fascination with the product. With the possibilities, I want to talk to you a minute about the creativity that you brought to it. But you're not dealing now with a two-bedroom flat in Randwick. You're dealing with something a lot bigger. It's becoming a very successful business operation in its own right. What did you grow up with in terms of business, free enterprise? What did your folks do? What, did you, what was home for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, pretty interesting sort of creative side in the family. My mum's father was an architect, town planner in London and redesigned number 10 and, and Kensington Palace after they got bombed through the war. So oh, yeah. that was, um, um, and then he created a place in London called the Barbican, which I'm sure a few people out there might know if they've been to London. Yeah. Um, that was pretty cool. And my, my father, well, mum, mum was a geologist and, and my dad was a mechanical engineer, worked oh, yeah. at BHP, okay. came out to Australia with, with mum and they had the choice between South Africa or, or uh, Newcastle. Yeah. Luckily they chose Newcastle. Oh yeah, that's where it started. 
And then Dad went on to into chemical engineering and, and designing uh, trucks to carry uh, explosives around mines. Wow. So, are they still alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. Are they in Canberra or are they in No, they're in Coffs Harbour. Oh, okay. They're smart. They've, yeah. uh, they've gone a bit further north. It's interesting because Glenn, who we had in here on Tuesday from Aspen Medical, comes from Newcastle as well. So did you mm. grow up there? Yeah, absolutely. Did you really? Yeah. That's two in a week. So did mm. I. Yeah, right. yeah I grew up, we grew up in Elibata. Yeah, uh, and I was across the lake from here at Bolton Point. Oh, there you go. All the mm. best people, huh? Shout out. Everybody, all the listeners are going, okay, you guys are having a private moment. Can we get back to the podcast? So mm. what, are they, what do you think you took from them growing up? Like you've, uh, obviously there's a chemical engineering side. You've probably had some exposure to, you know, seen in a scientific way. But what do you look back at your parents and your family and see that you brought forward? Oh, I probably didn't know it then, but I think they brought a lot of discipline. You know, now moving into running a, running a business, um, you need discipline. Yeah. And uh, I probably didn't have that when I, when I left home and went to university. And, but I, I somehow got it back you know, in years to come. And I think that's something that I, I look at and think that, you know, they provided that to me. It's probably an obvious answer, but are they, do you think they're proud of what you've achieved so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. They stay in touch regularly and always uh, looking out for seeing what's happening with Ben Spoke. And they, uh, have they been down, obviously? Yeah, 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 plenty of times. And honestly, I've got to tell you, I, I hadn't been there until recently. Um, and uh, I went out for a birthday with a mate and I went in there and we'll talk about the, the setup in a minute. But I was like, holy crap, this place is amazing. You know, and, you know, I know you hear that a lot, but, you know, people listening, if you haven't been yet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug it hard on the end to get you there because it's, it's a really special experience. So in the complexity of what you're doing now, was just a random question. Where are your stress levels? You're dealing with a lot of stuff. And what I want to ask you on that is you are a purist. You love making this stuff. It gives you joy. But now you've got everything else that you've got to run. Are you getting to do what you love or are you getting pulled in multiple directions now as it grows? Oh, yeah, and that was to be expected. I mean, it was never going to be a case of um, being able to just stick, stick with the beer making. I've got to, um, or the brewing. I've got to be able to run a business as well. And, and that's been the challenge. But I think been running the business has been fun. It's certainly been challenging, but I think at, at the moment you've got to look at yourself and you go, where where do your skills lie? And you've got to think a little bit further than just next week. You've got to, you know, look into the future and years to come and go, are you, is this what you want to be doing? Do you think you can do it? And um, I think that's where I'm at at the moment. I've, I've sort of decided that, that I want to stay in the brewing side of things and, and not really run the business. So yeah. we'll, um, yeah, we'll appoint a general manager to, to look after that. And a lot of the interviews we've done with Michelle from Intellidox, like, you know, they've built a $40, $50 million business now here in Canberra. And her and her husband, Phil, who are brilliant at the parts that they do, but they've brought in now a director, like a, a general director to run that side of the business. Because, yeah, I think, you know, if you love doing something, you're constantly getting pulled away from it. Do you get stressed with the complexity of it all at the moment? Oh, it has its moments. But, I mean, generally speaking, you've got to just take a step back and just think to yourself, look, you know, be a goddess here. You know, <laughs> just keep doing that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I guess you've got a job where when it's really stressful, you can sneak out the back for 10 minutes and just go, just go and sample that one for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so you had 17 years at the Wigan Pen, which is a Canberra icon. What did you yeah. love about that? What are some good memories for you from that time? When I started there, it was a challenging business. It was, um, you know, the market was ahead of its time. You know, the owner was quite visionary in that regard, doing something that was very ahead of its time. And uh, we, we really needed people to catch up. And, and over time that happened. And, you know, when I started, we had, I think, six beers on tap. And by the end of 99, we had, I think we had 12 beers on tap that yeah. we were making. So we increased that to try and give a, a wider variety of flavors for people to, you know, to find one that they liked. And certainly the, the place got busier and busier over those years. And look, we, yeah, we were lucky enough to win, win some awards for the beer, which is really good. Um, it all, you know, validates what you what you're doing and yeah. what you're making. Um, but I think the biggest validation really is the is the people coming in and wanting to buy the beer. I yeah. mean, uh, at the end of the day, that's what you need. Yeah. It's great to have medals and trophies, and but at the end of the day, you need people enjoying, the, you know, the beer you make. Keep it going. The customer's always right. You know, it's like you, it's not like you have a room full of beer judges coming in every night. You've got well, you do in a way. Everybody's or your or your customers are making those judgments regularly. I'm just interested, like, just give us the 101. I know all the beer aficionados that'll hear this will, will know this, but for those of us listening, take us to the essence of what you do. How do you create a beer? Give us an overview of how that process actually happens. Yeah, well, I guess we, we you know, we're lucky enough to start with raw, raw ingredients. So we, we've got, you know, the four main ingredients in beer are water, which we're lucky in Canberra. The water's really good. It's really soft. It's easy to make good beer. We don't have to do a lot to it. Um, we don't have to add a lot of minerals into it or take a lot of minerals out of it. Beer is 95% uh, 
water. So yeah. um, that's a good start. Yeah. Uh, and then we start with the malt and, you know, there's probably 70, 80 different types of malted barley that you can get these days. So, you, you know, if you're thinking, looking in your recipe cupboard at home and you've got, I always make this similar process to making a curry. So if you're making a curry, you, you know, there's there's heaps of different proteins that you can use to make a curry. There's heaps of different types of curries. And so making a beer, we've got 65 different malt, you know, we're converting the, sh- the starch in the, in the malt into sugar and that's the base for, for all beer. Um, we're then adding our hops, and the hops add the bitterness to balance that sweetness from the malt. So they're like the spice of beer. So we're adding our spices to our curry. It's different spices you can add, and a secret to a good beer is the balance between the bitterness and the sweetness. Same in a curry, it's a balance between yeah, the yeah. spiciness and the richness of it. You know, there's eighty odd different hops that all provide different flavours, different characters. How do you source those? Like, do you travel? Do you go and try different stuff? Like, how do you make these choices? We do. We do travel. And we do go to the hop harvest, for instance, in, in the US or in Australia. And we go and talk to the maltster and find out what's new and what's coming up. And and um, how's the season? How's the crop for the season? Because you're dealing with natural ingredients. So they do change from year to year. So yeah. you've got to really allow for that in your brewing. So, you know, you combine the, the 80 different malts with the 80 different hops and then throw in 60 different types of yeast, which create their own different flavors. No way. There's lots of permutations of, you know, flavor profiles that you can create. So, I look, a bunch of stuff. I mean, when you talk about going to visit the, um, what do you call them, maltsters? Is that what you call them? Yeah. So these are the guys that grow... They're, the farmers grow the, the the barley and then the barley goes to the maltster who turns it into malted barley, which is a process that allows enzymes to be stored in the malt so that the brewers can activate them to turn the starch into sugar, yeah, to put right. it simply. So when we, was talking, we were talking to Tim from Clonakilla, you know, the amazing thing he was sharing was that on that one parcel of land, depending on where light's falling and sun and all this dominant wind in different parts of the property, they're literally getting different flavours out of how that stuff... So, that was all news to me. So I, I got a sense that you're a pretty humble guy, but if it was as simple as just putting this stuff together, everyone would be, everyone would be doing it. Honestly, what do you bring into this? Because you've obviously been able to, is it that your palate's different? How are you able to create something that's that's really so good and so different? Oh, I think there's a few factors that I've come to know about myself, I guess, over the years of judging at beer, different beer competition and talking to different brewers. Definitely being able to taste beers and, and be able to relate brewing processes to flavours in beer, I think something that a lot of brewers don't spend enough time on. And also, I guess, just attention to detail and you know and hard work at the end of the day. And What does that mean for you when you say attention to detail? What uh, being really clean. For you? Just being clean. I mean, brewing is, as a brewer, you spend more time cleaning than you do doing anything else. Why? Why is that? You've got a um, food that can be, you know, corrupted by bacteria so if you allow bacteria to get involved in your beer it's not clean and it's not going to taste very good so are you like the bacteria nazi do you walk around keeping an eye on people making sure and it's all been done properly well that's right i mean you have to you have to make sure that you know the brewery's kept clean everything's kept clean you know people are, are drinking stuff that's made in your brewery so you don't want to see any dirt lying around or any mold or bacteria yeah yeah I poured a Red Nut last night. If people are familiar, one of the most amazing beers I think these guys do is called Red Nut. And I, I poured one last night and just the, the color in that thing, it's just clean. It's just a great experience. And those, how long have those new cans been around now with, with those larger openings? How long have they been? Yeah, there? look, Colonial were the first brewery in Australia to do that, I think about four years ago. And then we, we decided we wanted to do it too because it gives you the, you know, it gives you a really good experience drinking out of yeah. a can. I mean, you can actually drink out of our cans without too much trouble. It doesn't glug, glug, glug. It, yeah. You actually can smell the beer. You can see the beer. So it's it's actually a pretty good experience if you're, you know, out in the bush or out in a game of footy or whatever you're doing. You don't need to have a cup there. Yeah, okay. So there's a, a couple other key things I want to ask you. What you love about this work is the actual love of beer itself, but also we talk a little bit about this concept around hospitality. Now, I, I shared a quote, I think in one of the first interviews we did, from a US speaker who's a business genius and he, and he says to people, you know, there's two questions you've got to work out in business. One is what business are you in? The second is how's business? And that first question, what business are you in? He said to people like, you know, he'd say to someone, what business are you in? They go, well, I run a restaurant. I'm in the restaurant business. And he would always say, you're not in the restaurant business. He said, you're in the experience business, right? Like you're actually, because food's a commodity and sure we can tweak it and make mm. it excellent, but plenty of people can do food. It's, building that experience around it. So what business are you kind of in? Like when you think about what you're bringing to people, what do you what do you see yourself bringing? Well, it is an experience. I mean, absolutely. We want people to 
taste our beer and feel like and actually think about what they're doing because most people probably go and buy a beer in the bottle shop take it home sitting around a barbie or having a beer with a few mates probably not even thinking about the beer they're drinking they're yeah. actually thinking about what what the score is in the footy or whatever whatever's happening we want people to think about the beer they're drinking yeah. and and really provoke you know thought on actually what what is it they're tasting so let's talk about the relationship between you and tracy like what what is she bringing to the business so you've got this pure love of the product and the quality of the product what is what's she bringing to the business well, she brings that as well. She, when we started uh, doing security on the door, she's known as Jill of all trades. So oh, yeah. She, she yeah. does, um, you know, and she was working in the kitchen, working in the bar and helping me a bit in the brewery as well. But now she, she does all the brewing at Braddon in the brew pub. Yeah. And I do most of the brewing out at Mitchell, uh, Mitchell at the cannery. <laughs> Got another brewer on board now and um, he's really good. So it's allowed me to focus a bit more on the business. But as we grow and we need more, more beer made, you know, I want to step back into the brewery. I'm... You know, so yeah, it's worked out really well. It's like where your heart is. It's like, just let me back in there. I want to go do that part. So I look at your business, all the bits and pieces now, like it's a full, you know, you've got the food, you've got all the design, you've got all that stuff going on. How's it being run day to day? So you're brewing, Who who's really overseeing the, the day-to-day function of the place? Look, I'm lucky. We've got some really good staff that work in the business and a lot of them, you know, I've been there from the start as well. So single out a, a few people like, you know, our venue manager in Braddon, he started as a casual employee um, when we first opened, um, left us for a little bit, came back. You know, our operations manager, he um, helped build a lot of the brew pub um, and now he's our operations manager. Well, you know, we didn't employ him as an operations manager at the start. He just wanted to get involved and, you know, Trace and I had known him for uh, probably close to 15 years. So so that, that was a really good little story. And then, you know, you look at our marketing marketing manager. He started working in the bar, became a, a duty manager and started marketing at, at university and and now has sort of left the pub or left the hospitality side and is now running our marketing. Yeah. Um, so you need, you know, you need good people around. I mean, it's without that, um, the business wouldn't be half what it is today. Well, you've mentioned that your great love is for the product and the part that you don't love quite as much is probably a lot of business owners around the HR side. So... What are the challenges you think business owners face? I mean, be as specific as you like in your own context, but but what do you think, you know, when it comes to getting the right people? Let's ask that question first. What are you looking for when you uh, are looking for hires? Are you still sitting in on that? Are you still making decisions about who's coming on board? Oh, absolutely, yeah. What are you looking for? What sort of qualities do you look for? Oh, we want people who who um, really love what they do. It's interesting because the other day, you know, we've, we've been advertising for a warehouse assistant and, you know, we've had a lot of people uh, and a duty manager in the pub and we've had a lot of people just apply for the job simply because they want to come and work at the, at the you know, at Ben's Park. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily really want to work um, in the role that, that they've applied for, but they just have applied because they have no experience in the role they've applied for, but yeah. they actually want to come and work in, at yeah. Ben's Park. So that's it, really, really good to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just want people that are passionate about what they do and, and you know, we want people that really... Yeah, really want to be there. So you had a great quote when I asked, you know, about business advice you'd received. It was a little cryptic. I want you to talk to us about it. You say that you received some advice that owning a business doesn't make you a businessman. I'm fascinated by that. What what does that mean to you? Well, I think it does. I mean, you know, if you think about a lot of people, I think, who are lucky enough to own a business, being a businessman is, is not the same as owning a business. Yeah. I mean, a businessman is someone who, who, you know, who can take the business, you know, really organize and run a really good quality business. Anyone can own a business. Yeah. A lot of people think by owning a business that they're automatically a businessman. Yeah. And I, I think that's something, assumption that a lot of people make. And I think I see it around a lot with hospitality, especially in the hospitality side of business, which is where I come from or in the brewing side, I see a lot of breweries opening up and... And a lot of people think, oh, I'm opening a brewery, I can be the brewer, or um, I'm opening a brewery, I know how, how to run a brewery, I know yeah. how to, you know, and it's just not, it's so far from the truth. You've, for people who haven't worked in a brewery, it's very hard to, to suddenly set up a brewery and and run a brewery. So take us back to the moment. You're at Wigan Pen for 17 years, and you realise that it's time, you know, you've, you've gone as far as you can there. But it's not like you were just taking a step to open a one-room pub. I mean, you've taken a big step here. I want—I guess I want to ask you about how you deal with risk and did you lie awake at 2am as I always ask people staring at the ceiling for a while? Like, you know, how did you deal with that, that big step? I mean, how did you, were you, talk to us about how you dealt with that risk when you first took that choice. 
Yeah, I guess there's always risk in everything. I mean, I think we just had to um, back ourselves that, you know, we learn a lot from what people in Canberra wanted in the way of, you know, uh, hospitality offering and knowing that people were interested in the beers that I made. I think taking that and putting those two together and trying to come up with something that was reasonably unique at the same time, you know, with some quality quality offering, we tried to do everything as best we could. You know, I guess at that point um, in 2012 we signed up and 2013 started the, the build and opened in 2014. Since then, the hospitality scene in Canberra, even since 2014, since we opened, has really grown. Yeah. But, I mean, there wasn't a lot of a massive amount of offerings back in 2014. Did you ever hit a point where you're like, did you ever feel you'd bitten off more than you could chew? Or were you always pretty confident that if you had a great product, you had Tracy, you know, did you just always, did you ever have a moment where you're like, well, this is a big thing we're doing, you know, there's a lot of money on the line here. You know, I mean, naturally you you get a bit nervous when when things aren't going to plan perfectly. I mean, we were planning to be open a little bit earlier than what we were, so it was sort of, in the end, um, that was starting to go a little bit deep, so to speak, but... I mean, once we opened and we had that massive rush on the first weekend and nearly sold out a beer for two weeks. That we... was 3,000 litres on that first yeah, weekend. Yeah, that's right. It was crazy. <laughs> I, uh, was trying, I, was, I, was, I was putting that in the perspective of my swimming pool the other day going, that's a lot of beer in one weekend. Yeah. Were you stoked on that first weekend? Oh, yeah. It was um, ever since that, you know, that first weekend was the, the starting point. I mean, it was funny because we actually thought, we, oh, we'll just open on a Friday afternoon. We won't tell anyone. We didn't really, we didn't tell, tell anyone we were opening. Yeah, soft, I mean, a word of mouth launch. got around a little bit, but we just said, oh, we'll, we'll we were ready to, unfortunately it was a Friday we had to, it was the first day we could actually open. Yeah. So we had a few beers with a few tradies on the Thursday and staff. And then we opened on the Friday and we said, oh, we're not going to have a toss because we, we don't know how we're going to go and the yeah. systems might not be set up. But yeah. we had a queue out the front in half an hour. Really? So how do you explain that? I, I'm fascinated because what I'm trying to do here is for all the listeners, this is a great business and it's a great business, I think, because it's got a great product and it's got passionate people. But when, when you do a soft launch and you got a queue, something else is going on. What, how do you explain this? What do you, you know, because I want people to hear it. What, what are you done? How can people replicate this? What are the ingredients of what's happened? Well, I think, you know, we sort of didn't hide from the fact of what we were doing, I guess. So, I mean, uh, we'd always talking to, I mean, there was a number of people in Canberra wanting to know what I was up to and constantly, you know, every couple of, couple of weeks sort of emailing me or calling me and saying, oh, how's it going? What are you up to? And I, said, and I was telling people, well, we're setting up a brewery. We're doing this. It's going to be open when it's ready and we'll let you know sort of thing. And um, so there was, you know, there was certainly people walking past and I think there were some people walking past pretty well every every day for two weeks to see when it was open. So I guess that just shows what Kevin is. It's such a loyal place. It's, you know, when you've got people that have been drinking your beer for you know, a long time and they really want to come and see what you've done at a new place. I think that says a lot about the type of people that Care Barons are. Well, on that loyalty and that brand idea, like, you know, we had, as you know, Tim from Clonakilla, Killer and I've had a lot of loyalty to that brand because it's similar to what you're doing. It's a great product. And once you, you, you just know you can always trust it. So when we talk about something like brand, which is a word thrown around all the time, what does that mean for you? You know, Bent Spoke is becoming a really well-known name, not just here, but further afield. What are the S, What are the elements of brand for you? What does brand mean? Yeah, well, it's really big, isn't it, brand? I mean, it's um, really important that you do try and put a bit of time and effort into to working out what it is that brand actually means to you before you start telling everyone else what it's going to mean or do yeah. anything. Or your, br- your brand is everything. It's, it's um, how you act. It's what people look at. It's what people taste. It's what people hear. It's what people read. It's it's everything to do with your business. And we've always tried to keep it reasonably... We haven't pigeonholed ourselves, I believe. Um, we've kept it reasonably broad. We're, you know, we want to try and appeal to every age group, every gender. I mean, when we first set up Benspark, we were really worried it was going to be a blokey place. So, But that's been proven wrong with the, and the ladies that like coming in and so having a So what is that? that? That's really interesting because I could see that happening. I could see a bunch of blokes going, right, you know, we're going to get together. How do you explain that? I mean, I'm genuinely interested because that, that's a really good point. It's You know, at the end of the day, ladies have, uh, ladies have much better palates than we do. They they know if something's tasting really? good. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Is there science behind that? It's just an well, observation I don't know over. what it is. It's a, yeah, it's probably just an observation. I've, I've noticed for a long time, especially, I mean, Tracy so, has a good palate. <laughs> so blokes will just pretty much drink anything, but yeah, girls they, will go, what is this? They'll accept things. Yeah, blokes, will, blokes might know something's not perfect, but they'll accept it, whereas ladies won't. They'll, they'll, they'll challenge it. That is so true. I can just see uh, my wife now going, you know, just can you take this back? It's not right. Or I'll be going, oh, you know, as long as there's no salmonella, I'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah. 
So what is that? Why is it? Because I've been there and it is. It's a good, it's a great vibe. Interesting mm. people there. I mean, you're, you're in a good location. But well, I guess there's a lot of things that go into where, whether somebody likes going to a place. I mean, they've got to feel comfortable. They've got to feel welcome. They've got to f- know that they're going to get something they're going to enjoy. You know, is it somewhere where they want to be uh, able to take their, their friends there, you know, confidently? They don't want to have to organize a get together and go, oh, oh we're going there or something, you yeah. know. So you want to go somewhere where people want to go and... I think when you put all those things together and, you know, and then factor in that there's a lot more um, ladies and people give credit to that actually really like beer. Yeah. I think next time you go to a pub or go to a, a restaurant or go to a place that's selling good quality beer, have a look around, you'll be surprised. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the big impact on you of the Meddings family. Now, tell us a little bit about them and what, what have you learned from them? They've been, yeah, a big part of our, our lives. I guess um, it goes back when uh, we were, well, I was a customer of theirs, um, I guess, at the Wig and Pan. And for, you know, we, we used um, a, a yeast product for one of the first breweries in the world to use this new yeast product that the company, Meddings owned a company called Bintani and a brewery supply company. And they, um, one of the first companies to supply this this yeast to brewing, brewing networks around the world. And I was lucky enough to be one of the first brewers to use it. And, you know, then we won some awards with it and that really sort of kept a really sort of close friendship with Peter Mettings over a period of time. And then we've always sort of caught up all the time and, and got to know his sons really well and who are, you know, around a bit, bit younger than me. And uh, and then, yeah, I guess obviously know a lot about business, run really good businesses. And, and that was something that, you know, was something that Tracy and I sort of needed, that, that sort of business acumen. So did he, was it a sort of mentoring role in some sense? Yeah, absolutely. No question. Because that's been interesting. Like, I mean, you know, Jerry Tiffin shared that on one of the recent episodes too. Just seeking out really good people and and asking the right questions. What do you think you learn from him? I mean, from Peter, looking at you know, you've said he's run a good business, but what are a couple of key things you think that you learn from just observing him? You know how he's been able to uh, generate a really passionate team, um, and how he's been able to do that over his very long career now. So, um, and now his sons are doing that. They've you know, really taking the business that he started to next level and, you know, it's just great to see. So I want to bring you back to the, what you talked about a minute ago with owning a business doesn't make you a businessman. I, I have a strong sense listening to you that, you know, yes, you love beer, yes, you genuinely love the brewing, but this doesn't happen, you know, without you also bringing some other skills to the table. It's not ar- arrogant to, to tell the truth. Like, what do you, skills do you think you bring to the bigger picture? What else have you brought into this that, that people can learn from? I think attention to detail, I'm a bit pedantic about certain things and there's reasons for that, you know, you want things to look the right way. So when somebody walks into your place, you, you don't want it to be, you know, one of the things I like to, to think about when you walk into the brew pub in Braddon is is we only use blue and white chalk on our notice boards. Oh, really? I don't let them use any other colour. <laughs> it's just a little detail thing, but it, it, it adds um, a certain consistency to everything that we do. Wow. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't look like a, you know, fish and chip shop. Oh, yeah. And... I think t- attention to detail. So, I mean, we, you know, little things like, you know, we knew we wanted to get into cans. When the building was being built that we were going into, we came on site and put can lids under the reinforcing on the second level. So when you're yeah. downstairs and you look up at the ceiling, yeah. you can see can lids in the, in the concrete. Oh, really? And that was a little sign that, you know, we were always going to do cans at some point. Yeah. But not many people realised that or knew that. It was something that you just had to look around and go, oh, is that a can lid up there? You know, and then eventually that leads to a story and that's i've been telling that now for a long time yeah. that was the start of what trace and me wanting to go into package beer and were you always like this this attention to detail or was it something that, that came into play later on in life oh no i think you have to be as a brewer i think you know i think attention to detail is really a critical component of being a good brewer you know i think that can then flow through from whatever you do or flow into business so you got to be across everything you got to be um, you know you got the details got to be there yeah I guess it's like a filter, isn't it? It provides a certain level of security in operations. Like, I don't cope well with chaos. And as regular listeners know, I've got three kids under 10, so I get plenty of practice with that. But I think in business, it's solid systems, predictability, you know, knowing that that what happened yesterday is probably going to happen mm. the same today, if not better. So just tell me, why why blue and pink chalk? <laughs> just you just just happened that way. Oh, it just happened that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a bulldog supporter as well, but I mean that's nothing to do with blue and white. I've just got visions of some intern just coming in one day and hearing this. What are you doing? We use blue and pink here. So, what is that experience like? You've got those things like if people haven't been yet, 
you know, the guy's got Peter Rogers to design these phenomenal, the tap handles. Tell us about those. Yeah, well, he's been a really big supporter over the years. He was always a, a good customer, someone to chat to at the Wigan Pen, and um, he always to do all our labels there at the Wigan Pen, and, and he always said, oh, if you ever leave and set up your own place, I'm not doing any more labels for you, because we did, I think we did 165 different beers oh, at yeah. the Wigan Pen when I was there, yeah, so yeah. that was... That was a lot of labels for him to make. And he's a cartographer by trade, so making labels wasn't too bad for him. But he's also a wood turner. So oh, yeah. when we came and set up Ben Spoke, I said to him, well, can we get some wooden tap handles? Just come up with some random tap handles for us. And then that sort of led to him uh, making some specific ones. So we've got, you know, we've got a beer called Pedal Pail and it's got like a pedal on the tap handle. So. so why? Why not just go? What is it about you and what you're trying to build? Why not just go, tap handles are fine. You know, people are here for tap handles, but you think they are. Or you think that it's part of this bigger offering. It's part of your yeah. brand. It's part of the experience. You know, people come in and look at our tap handles and point to them. And yeah. They go and order a red nut and they say there's a red nut on the tap handle, you know. So it all sort of links back to back to something. It's that attention to details, that, that further sort of offering that you give people. When I was there recently, you know, when you've got those kind of more British pub style beers on the end of the bar yep. upstairs, what are those ones on the end there? Was you got yeah, the, the hand pumps. Yeah. Yep. Because that brings a whole aesthetic to it as well. It's not that it's just you're drinking this, but you're actually, you know, in an instantaneous society, you find yourself standing there watching this thing happen in front of you, which I think is another really cool part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a real sort of traditional, that's a sort of a, I guess, an ode to the the traditions of beer coming from the UK. And that is those hand pump beers, those cast condition real ales where, as we know, there's a big movement in, in the UK called Camera, which is a campaign for real ale to keep real, real ale um, in the pubs in Britain. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, you've got to pay a little bit of homage back to history and what, what that may have helped. Well, I think one of the other cool things you're doing too is, um, and this isn't all your beers, but, you know, the stronger alcohol content in some of them, at least for me, means that you, you don't, you know, so many, I think, people, younger people particularly, not all of them, just hit beer hard. You know, you're going out for the night so you have six or eight beers as fast as you can, but I find that with the quality of your product, you tend to just sit on one, enjoy it much more, you drink probably more sensibly and enjoy the whole experience more, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we do have a lot of beers that are higher in alcohol than what you usually find in the in the pub. But I think it's the reason why people are, are drinking them slower is because they're thinking about them. We've provoked them into actually thinking about what they're tasting. Yeah. And I think in the in the wine industry, that's probably part of the cause. But in the brewing industry, it's not really something people think about. They just want to drink the beer and get on to the next one. Whereas we're actually getting people, forcing people to think about actually what they're drinking, what they're tasting, what they're smelling. Why do that? Why not? It's a journey. You want people to, to understand what they're actually um, consuming. You know, you take good pleasure, you take a lot of pleasure out of people um, tasting a beer for the first time and even talking about it at the table with their mates. I mean, when yeah. I go into the pub, I, I love looking around and, you know, overhearing some of the conversations that people oh, are having yeah. it when they're talking about the beer. It's really, really gratifying too. Well, I, uh, I don't want to make this sound like an Oprah episode, but I listen to you and I think, you know, that there's a joy that you have around about around beer and and what it can do for people and their enjoyment of it and i think looking at you and listening to you i think it's like you want to communicate that you want to share well, that be, that's what beer is it's a conversation it's something you can sit around with a couple of mates and have a really good conversation about yeah and i think you know like in our busy lives and the way the, the world's heading we need we need more of that conversation with our mates and so true mate yeah. every i i should post I'll, I'll post a couple of photos of this in the in the show notes but uh Every Sunday or Saturday now, so um, Tim Kirk that owns Clonic Killer, so there's the six Kirk boys, uh, men, or you know, a lot older now, but uh, Stephen is one of the Kirks, a great mate of mine, and a real connoisseur of fine beer. He's very excited I'm talking to you today. And uh, so every Saturday, Sunday now, we have beer tasting. So we light up a big fire pit at my place. Mm-hmm. We go out to Plonk. We have plenty of Ben Spoke with us too. And you're just sampling stuff, and you start on those Pilsners, and then you're your brown ales and you keep going the IPAs and then you're on those scotch ales and stuff. I ran into one of those the other day and you don't forget that too fast. So you're right. And then it's it's excuse for people to sit around and take time and actually be together. So I think what you're doing is uh, it's awesome and you deserve every success because it's, it's a great product. It's bringing good people together. Let me ask you a couple more things. What are you most proud of so far? Oh, I'm just proud we're still in business. Yeah. I mean, we've got nearly 60 staff, so... We're giving, you know, giving quite a few uh, people a, you know, a job in, in Canberra and, yeah. and that's putting, you know, we do put a fair bit back into the community as well. So, I mean, uh, I think that's something to be pretty proud of. Do you get stressed? Like, I mean, I always ask this to people 
it's a lot of people. There's a lot of payroll. There's a lot of money on the line. You know, you're looking at expansion and stuff. And how do you deal with with stress yourself? Think about beer. Do you? I mean, you, you just you switch gears. You know, I mean, you, sure, there, there are times in the business where you do have to, you know, think and uh, make some decisions or there's a bit of, uh, you know, stress that comes up. But to many, at the end of the day, you just think to yourself, well, what could I get stressed about? I'm, I'm in the beer industry. Yeah, that's right. So when you and Tracy are dealing with decision making, so I'm always interested in how people how people in a leadership role deal with difficult decisions and complexity and so how do you two resolve a complex decisions? Do you, do you shout? Do you yell? Do you kick the cat? Do you? How do you resolve complex decisions together? No, we just communicate. And we probably sit down and have a beer and, and just talk about it and weigh up the pros and cons and and agree to move forward. And sometimes, you know, I stick to my guns and sometimes Tracy does. And whatever we do, we, you know, we back ourselves to, to make a decision. I and mean, we're better off, you know, I think in some ways you're better off making a wrong decision than not making one. Yeah. You know, so you're better off having a go. You're going to learn from something. You know, yeah. you learn if you make a, a wrong decision, you'll learn from it. Um, paralysis by analysis, right? You just can't sit there forever in business and just let things resolve. You have to choose eventually. Yeah, that's right. Glenn said on Tuesday, Glenn Keyes from Aspen said they've got 5,000 staff now globally. Yeah. And he said that basically, yeah, when they have to deal with the really complex decisions, you know, they say that that they have to convince each other. They have to actually listen and be ready to change position and actually have that, that tough discussion. I want to talk to you about something possibly as important as beer, arguably, golf. So I'm asking that because all business owners and listeners listen to this. We need stuff outside of this. Talk to us about golf. Yeah, well, I need to get back into golf a bit more. I mean, I, it's funny because I started... I played a little bit of golf in, you know, my younger days, but then I took it up again um, in 2002 it was. I found it really rewarding in, in that, it yeah you, you know, you're in charge of your own destiny playing golf, unless you're playing a team game. I must um, be playing the wrong golf then, because <laughs> every time I step up there at Royal, I feel like I'm not in charge of anything. I mean, what I found was, I one of the things, I if I'm going to do something, I try and do it properly. So I started out on a handicap of 17 and eventually got down to a handicap of three. Really? And, you know... Probably didn't hold through very for very long, but but ended up around the five, six, seven mark. Yeah, gave it up probably in two thousand and thirteen. Got a bit of a ankle issue, and then and then I guess um, from there I set up Benspoke and didn't really have any time. So now's yeah. the time to get back into it because the Absolutely. two things that I took from golf, which really helped my brewing back when I was at the Wigan Pen, was was concentration. That taught you concentration, no question. And that's something that sometimes in brewing you don't. You don't realise how important it is to just wait that extra day. Really? Um, and patience. You know, golf's a, a great patience game. You've got to be patient if you're going to be any good at it. And I'm, I'm quite an impatient person. Yeah. Um, and I need to get back into golf because I'm becoming more impatient. All right, my friend, we can organise that for sure. So I listened to you and I think when we when we talked to Louise Curtis from Lollipots, you know, she talked about just really giving people a great experience and uh, – as we wrap up, just summarise for us, what are, what are the real key things in your business that really drive success for you that people can learn from? Just bring us back to those key things that people can go, right, have I got these in my business? Are we doing them? What are the key things that you think have got you this far? Oh, definitely not forsaking quality. You know, quality is number one. Um, you've got to go to, you know, if it's going to cost you a bit more to be to make something better, you've just got to do that. People judge you on your quality, so don't never forsake quality. In the business that we're in, you know, we, we can't do everything ourselves. We need other people. So surround yourself with, with good people. Yeah. Because um, if you don't have good people and you don't have motivated, if you don't have motivated people and you don't have people that are keen to succeed as much as you are, then you're going to be the one pulling the ship constantly. You know, you've also then got to have a, a partner that allows you to do what you do. Yeah. You know, lucky enough to have a partner who actually now does what I do in the business as yeah. well. So that's pretty rewarding. So I think that that's really important as well. I wanted to just, something you said a minute ago about having people around you that are motivated. This has come up in a few podcasts. You know, sometimes people say, you know, you've got to have all your team as motivated as you about the business. And one of my favorite entrepreneurs in, in New York says, that's ridiculous. He said, you can't expect any employee to be literally as passionate about your own business as you are, right? But we can get them close. So in terms of how you relate to your team and motivate people, how do you communicate your expectations and vision like you know you can control your attention to detail yourself what you do 
you know, in terms of the cleanliness and all that stuff and making great beer. How do you bring your staff with you? What do you do? What does Tracy do that helps people want to make a contribution like rather than just turn up and have a job? Or what do you think you do well to bring them with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we probably haven't done this well enough as what we could even. I mean, I think the things I've learned is that, you know, like you want people to be happy in their job. I mean, I always learned that you've got to do something that you love doing. You can't go be going to work if you don't like it. So yeah. if you're going to work and you don't like what you do, find something else. The rest of your life's going to be um, influenced by that. Yeah. We want everyone in our business to to basically feel like that. You know, we want people to come to work. We've got a lot of people who love coming to work, yeah. um, which is great, which is exactly what you want. You want people to want to come to work. And I guess giving people, you know, giving people a chance to, to have ownership of things. You know, as, as a business is grown, we're only four years old and we, we've grown at such a fast rate that probably we haven't done enough of that. Um, and that's something we want to do a lot more of is let people, you know, have a bit more input and a bit more, um, let them do their own thing a little bit more. So true. Um, I've, I've learned that recently with, with kids, like... You know, so much of the time, if you just go, hey, look, work it out, right? Like, find yeah. a way. People just surprise you. But the more that you kind of hold everyone's hand and drag them along, but I think you're, you're making a good point. Like, when, when people have ownership and feel a bit of empowerment around what they're doing, what are you proud of in your people so far when you look at some of your key staff? What are you proud of? Oh, well, I think I'm proud that, you know, people have been with us since the start. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, you know, that says a lot. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, when you have, like, we're employing, I think seven people at the moment to you know in different areas of the business and yeah. get sifting through a lot of resumes and there's a lot of people out there who have changed jobs every two years and yeah. I just think oh, it's, you know like I mean sure they they might be still trying to find that job or that that thing that they really want to do but if they're for instance a chef and they've constantly been changing their job every two years they should probably look at themselves and go oh, I really <laughs> want to be a chef you know I wanted to ask you. Uh a simple question, which is, why don't you stop, right? Which is, when you research you and you read articles about what you're doing, one of the things that seems to be a little bit unique about you is you're fascinated by innovation and creativity. Like, it's not as if you've gone, hey, we made a great beer. Everybody, look at our great beer. And you stopped. It's something in you, like you're going, oh, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. What is that? Well, I mean, it's, you know, you just you can't stay stagnant, can you? I mean, uh, you've got to keep recreating things. You've got to keep coming up with new things. That's what um, a lot of people like. A lot of people like to hear about something different. You know, I like challenging myself to do things uh, differently as well. It's probably a little hint in, in our name on that, that yeah. bent spoke. We yeah. do things a little bit bent. You know, I think that's something that people who work at bent spoke think about it. That's something that they um, probably don't realise happens in front of them there is that things do change quite a bit and new things come out quite yeah. a bit. And that's just challenging things. And are you always reading? Like, are you like in terms of you know, when I'm when I'm flying, I'm always you know, reading, reading, reading constantly in, in the spaces that I'm in around speaking and, you know, business. But what do you do to keep yourself growing and learning, right? Is it just trial and error? You're just constantly trying stuff all the time? Or what do you do for Yeah, basically, that's what it is. I mean, we like to, you know, I'm lucky enough to get invited to go and judge at a number of different beer competitions around the world. So you're always seeing what's going on. It must be very, very hard. It must be it a is, real cross, mate. I thank you for doing that for us all because we appreciate it. My gosh, half the planet would just be like, really? You get to do that? So what do you do to learn? Well, I mean, you, you just stay abreast of what's going on. That's a as I was saying, that's a beautiful thing about our industry. Um, it's such um, an industry where everyone can, you can just pick up the phone and call any brewer in Australia and they'll have a chat to you. I don't think there's many industries that, that are like that. We regularly catch up with, with other brewers. Come, people come to Canberra to come and see what we're doing. And when we go, when we leave Canberra or chat to other breweries in Canberra, I mean, even the breweries in Canberra chat, you know, I mean, uh, we've got good relations with, with all the breweries in Canberra and, and still talk to them all the time. I'll probably show you some text messages from, from this week from yeah. I think three three of the breweries in oh, Canberra. Yeah. So, so explain so, that to me. Is this simply that, as you were saying before, beer is, is a sort of thing that unites people? Yeah. Are you like freaked out with your, with your own IP and your own stuff? Like, I mean, are you highly protective of everything? Because these days, there's not a lot of true commodities left that can't be replicated. So I guess what I mean is that you've got to create a great product, but you've got to build stuff around it so that people don't just copy the beer and then you're out of business do you in, in this brewery space do you get highly protective of ip or are you when you're, you're saying there sounds like you can pick up a phone ring a brewery and you'll talk to each other like what's the balance there between protecting your own unique x factors and, and sharing with people 
I'm pretty been pretty open with most brewers. I mean, if they ask me what hops I've got in this beer, I tell them. If they ask me what malt, I tell them. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more that goes into making a beer than just knowing what the ingredients are. There's a process that you do, and that's that's ingrained in the brewer. The brewer sort of decides the process that he wants to go on, and people ask me what I do. And when we've done a few collaborative beers, we want to try and do a few more with a few different breweries. That'd be really good. Uh, I think, you know, just the sharing of knowledge, and you always learn something when you go to, go to a different brewery as well. You say, oh, you're doing it like that. I do it like this. Maybe yeah. I should do it like you're doing it, you know? So, you know, it always, it's, you question your own process, and you can reaffirm also your own process as yeah. well. Well, look, I want to wrap up, but I just, look, for me, summarising, I think there's this fascination with quality, with a great experience for people, with innovation. I want to ask you where this is heading. Let's talk about legacy. Let's talk about where you'd like this to go. You know, you could end up with a fantastic brew pub here for 30, 40, 50 years that becomes a real institution. Is that it? Or are you thinking... You know, you guys had a deal with Singapore Airlines. Are you thinking, well, no, we want breweries in every state. We want to go global. What's your gut feeling on it all? Oh, look, we always like to just sort of take one step at a time. I mean, we, we made the step to set up another brewery to take the beer outside of the four walls of the brew pub. Mm. I mean, so that was the first sort of big step to say to us, we want to sell our beer to people in Canberra. We've also, you know, got a bit of a goal to, to be a national beer brand at some point. Uh, we're not in a rush to, to get there, so it doesn't need to be next week. Selling a bit of beer into Sydney and a bit of beer into into Melbourne now. Um, we've got our beer in Brisbane, our beer in Tasmania. Yeah. So we're slowly just evolving and growing. Growth's a, a funny thing. You you really got to have controlled growth for so many reasons. If you if you try and get to the clouds in two weeks, you, you're going to end up falling yeah. back in a heap. Really, we want to be in a you know in a controlled growth phase that so we can really manage all the parts of the business that need to grow together. So what are your indicators for that? Because that's quite strategic because other people will be like, no, we're just you know, we're going to grow as fast as possible. We're going to cut every deal. What are, you, what are your indicators? Listening to you, there's a caution there. How do you make that decision? How do you go Well, you've got to be careful you don't invest ahead of the market. So, I mean, like it's easy. We've set up a pretty big brewery, so we probably are already invested a little bit ahead of the market in, in that regard to suddenly – go bang next week and be a national beer brand, have our beer everywhere around Australia in every every bottle shop. Yeah. And the market's not growing at that same rate, then I think that could come back to bite us. You know, we could have invested, you know, all this money in, in something that's going to take a long, long time to, to show return. So you've got to just do it in a way that you can um, reassess every month and have a look at where it's tracking and what you need to do in all the different parts of the business to, to grow. And that brings us back to where we were almost at the start is is how do you, again, I've sort of asked you this, but I'm fascinated by it. Like, I sense that if you could, you'd be happy to be left alone in the brew area and just creating stuff all the time and walking around seeing people happen. But we're talking spreadsheets here. We're talking equity partners. We're talking, you know, a lot of time in front of Excel. How do you deal with that on a day-to-day? Oh, look, I mean, we've, Chase and I have got it really, you know, we've obviously got some really good business partners too. So, yeah. I mean, they, you know, hands-on with that side of the business for us. We're hands-on running the business as well and we're all over everything, but they bring that level of expertise to the yeah. business. So in that, I guess there's a there's a essentially a kind of that managing that growth through bringing on the right people at the right time with the skill sets. One of the questions we often just ask is, how do you manage yourself, like on a day-to-day time management? Your morning person, do you charge in there with a to-do list? Just, I want to talk personal effectiveness. Just as we finish, like my days start at four a.m. Um, I'm a morning person, I do a bunch of stuff. How do you maximise your own effectiveness? I want people to hear: success doesn't happen by accident. Success leaves clues. How does Richard Watkins? run Richard Watkins on a daily basis. Yeah, I've got to get better at that. Do you? <laughs> um, I do. I mean, I generally start pretty early. So I'm in at the brewery by six and, you know, I usually crack in and get the brew going if that's my job for the day. And then I try and um, handle all the questions from everyone in the business as I'm brewing or <laughs> <laughs> or after uh, I finish brewing or at the days that I'm not brewing, then, yeah, I'm, I'm really just trying to catch up on email and, yeah. you know, field questions and hold meetings for oh, the, yeah. the business, so. Look, I mean, you know, one of the things is that as you grow, you you know, you need more people, but knowing when to put those people on and not getting them in too early so they fall yeah. into a false sense of security. So we're, you know, it's going to be good pretty soon. And in the next sort of three months, we'll have a lot more people on in the brewery and I'll be able to 
I'll be able to focus on the parts of the brew that I want to do rather than actually having to get in there and do a lot of the grunt work. Sure. Um, but also, we'll also, by that stage, probably have a general manager on as well. So they're going to be able to take a, a massive weight off my shoulders and, you know, then you start looking at HR, I won't have to do payroll anymore. And, you know, so it's going to be good. It's, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a perennial question. I'm sort of uh, going through this too. Like you, I put a bunch more stuff on recently in our business and uh, it's like, you have this kind of magical idea that you're going to sort of hire yourself out of every role. But then eventually you go, you know, the goal isn't for me to sit around, you know, practicing my putting, right? I have to be doing something. What is your greatest strength? What is your single greatest strength you bring to, to the business? Oh, I guess commitment. I'm committed. I'm not going anywhere. I want to, you know, I want to make sure I've got a commitment to quality, commitment to, you know, and that, that quality is not just about the beer. It's about everything really. I don't like leaving anything, you know, any stones unturned. I want to want to make sure that we do everything as best as we possibly can. Yeah. I like that idea about being committed. So that old joke about, you know, with a with a chicken Caesar salad, the uh, or chicken and bacon Caesar salad, the the chickens involved but they but the pig's committed. Yeah. He's in there for, he's in there for good. We don't call it a weakness, but what's one area you'd like to get stronger in? What's an area that you'd like to do better in? Oh, I'm probably not the best communicator at times, yeah. so I can probably, I certainly can improve that. Yeah. Um, but I think that comes with just the workload as well. I mean, and you know, not having as big a workload will allow me to spend more time on quality communication instead of, yeah, just getting it done, so to speak. Yeah. I have this image of you trying to get in there at six and get the brew going and people, you know, lined up behind you with a bunch of questions and you're just like, <laughs> would you just let me get this? So last thing I was asked this to, to people is – if you can imagine standing in front of a hundred young business owners, they're in a startup phase. They ask you to walk on stage, and they want three pieces of your best advice, like in a word or a sentence. What three things would you tell a business owner starting out to focus on? What do you think are three crucial things to build a great business? Yeah, well, don't assume because you're going to own a business, you're a businessman. Yeah, make sure you you know you you understand what that means, and when you think you know something, go and check that out and make sure it is right yeah i think quality i can't say that highly enough yeah. i mean it doesn't matter what you're doing in business it doesn't matter if you're in the hospitality industry or you're in the manufacturing industry or you're in the you know in the broadcasting industry whatever you do it's all about quality yeah and um, people want quality and if, if you provide quality and quality is your mantra then you will stand out a little bit above everybody else and people will start to recognize that. Yeah. It's the most effective marketing really, isn't it? And I think the last one is, and, and this is something that, that I need to do more of, but we do do a fair bit of it and that is have fun. I mean, you know, we're all here trying to do the best thing and at the end of the day we're, you know, I always pitch myself because I keep saying to myself, well, I'm in the beer industry, so I've got to have fun, you know. You, so, you get um, flown to do beer judging. It's not right. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that goes back to making sure you do something you, you like doing. And sure. I really say to anyone out there that if you're not doing something you love doing, go and find something that you like doing and yeah. do it. Don't wait any longer because you get such a joy out of, I can get up every morning and go to work at five, you know, and I, I love it. I'll, I do it because I love doing it. Yeah. And I want to do it. Yeah. I'm sure it's, I've got my own business now, but I still did that when I was at the Wigan Pen. I was yeah. up early, straining there. I loved it. I'd stay there all day, all night, whatever I'd have to do to, to do what it needed to do because I loved it. And I think that's something that's really important in people's lives. They've got to do something they love doing. And if you don't, if you're not, if you don't like doing what you're doing, it's really time to give something else a go. So true. I often say to people that for almost the entirety of human history, at least till the Industrial Revolution, probably 1760, you did what your parents did or you did whatever was available. You had no choice. And, uh, you know, now we really do have options in a way that we probably never had in human history. Now, there's that great line that you can't pay me enough to hate my life. Always like that one, you know. So your big three, uh, that great line that owning a business doesn't make you a business person, that you have to, uh, you got to know the detail. you got to have the people around you to help you run a great business. The second was around quality, which I think you've just nailed. I think that's your X factor because if you don't have quality, there's nowhere to hide. You get found out, of, you get found out eventually. And also quality is the ultimate marketing and uh, and finally was just to enjoy yourself. I think they're great messages. So my my friend Richard Watkins, we are going to put a bunch of show notes here. Everybody listening, if you haven't been to Bent Spoke yet, shame on you. 
shame on you. It's a really great experience. I was lucky enough to go there the first time recently and I will be back very soon. Bring your friends, bring your family. They've got great experience there for you. So uh, check out there. You'll find their products uh, in, in local stockists here in Canberra, but increasingly further afield. They bring in a great product. They bring in a great quality product to the Australian Capital Territory and beyond. They should be really proud of it. And Richard, mate, I, and to you and Tracy and your whole team, thank you for being involved in private enterprise, for providing employment for people, for helping people pay their mortgages, school fees and taxes. I'm really proud of business owners that uh, do what they love and build great businesses that support the community, mate. So congratulations to you and the team there, and we wish you every success. Thanks for being on the Canberra Business Podcast. Thanks very much for having me, and uh, yeah, to everyone out there, um, here's to be. Amen. Thanks, my friend. Hey, everybody, Jonathan again. There was a lot there, right? There was a lot of gold there that I hope is going to be very useful for your business. It was a real pleasure to, just to listen, just to kind of hear how you know 17 years of experience at one place leads into taking the next step. I think, aren't we a culture these days where it's very much about the instant result, the overnight Instagram success, rather than hearing these kind of stories, which are about years of mastery, dedication, discipline that bring about a great product. So I hope you got a heap out of that. I want you to go to the show notes, check out Ben Spoke. If you're in Canberra, you've got to go to their brew pub in Braddon. It's uh, right in the heart of Canberra, and it's a great experience. I've been there before, and uh, I absolutely loved it. It's just its such a cool experience. You're going to see those individual tap heads that we talked about. You're going to see you know, just a great environment, great food, great people, great service. So please come and check out the Brew Pub when you're in town. Check out uh, the links in the show notes to the different feeds so you can find out more about what Ben Spoke's doing. Please subscribe to the podcast. Share this with other business people so that they get uh, the insights and the excellence that's coming out of the national capital. So that's it from me. Check out Canberra Executive Coaching. See how we can serve you and your business goals. We've got another great guest coming up next week. I think next week we've got Serge U from Wild Bear Media. So make sure you've subscribed because that's also a great interview. But thank you to Richard. Thank you to the team at Bentspoke. I'm Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Canberra Business Podcast. We're going to have another great episode for you next week.